I'm glad you dance with me, Amy. <laughs> of course. It's a jam. It is a jam. Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is Friday. We made it to Friday, November the 3rd. Kai is out today, but as you can see, I have my dancing buddy with me here, Amy Scott. Hey, Amy. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the podcast and everybody on the YouTube live stream. It's Friday. Thank goodness. And that means it's time for right. Economics on Tap, our weekly happy hour special. And happy hour means cocktails, alcoholic or non, whatever your pleasure may be. Um, we're going to have some cocktails, see what you all are drinking, talk about what we're drinking, then uh, get to some news, take a break, then play a round of half full, half empty. Um, so let's start from the top. Amy, what are you drinking today? Well, Kimberly, uh, thanks to Tony Wagner's prodding yesterday, I had to plan ahead and I decided to make <laughs> a hot toddy. So nice. I'm showing the audience. Oh, here. what a cute this mug! Is my, this is my special WYPR WTMD mug. Baltimore shout out. Aww. Yeah, it's gotten the the weather has turned, shall we say? It's gotten a little chilly, so I made my first hot toddy of the season on Halloween night and liked it so Ooh, much. I decided spooky. to make another one. Yeah. So how do you make spooky. your hot toddies? What do you put in them? Well, I you know I kind of like Google the recipe every time because I don't make them that often. But this is just hot water, brown sugar. Um, bullet bourbon and lemon juice and then I today I stuffed a couple of cloves in the lemon like wedge that Ooh. I put in for a little extra so yeah fancy fancy how about okay. you I have a you know I, I feel badly I don't actually know how to pronounce it I think it's a boulevardier um, hmm. I it's it's something fancy. Anyway, last week, gosh, stuck on the microphone. So last week, I was kind of at a loss. And I asked ChatGPT to like, I put in all the ingredients that I had in my bar at the moment and asked for a recipe that was Halloween themed, and it gave me a cocktail. So this week, I went back to the same ChatGPT conversation. And I was like, what's another cocktail I can make with these ingredients that's not Halloween themed? That's and an excellent use said, of AI, Kimberly. <laughs> Hey, I endorse. <laughs> Let the robot overlords make us cocktails. Uh, so yeah, anyway, it's the least they can do for us. <laughs> it's the least they can do. So a boulevardier, I think, is how it's pronounced. But anyway, uh, let's see what everybody else is drinking. If you want to look yeah, in the maybe YouTube someone can live weigh in with chat, the pronunciation. Pronunciation. I'll look in the Discord. <laughs> All right. So we've got uh, somebody drinking a diet cream soda. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, Somebody else drinking decaf coffee, trying to be nice to my tummy. I love it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Somebody in the Discord <laughs> is drinking licorice iced tea because they, oh, sorry, no, just licorice tea because they caught a cold for the first time in 3.75 years. I'm so sorry, Verbena. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's a long stretch, Michael's, though. Yeah, good for you. Michael's drinking Tangeray and tonic. Gin is the devil. Not going to. No. Anyway. <laughs> well, that said, ahead. Nathan Schmidt is shaking up a martini, so I assume it's gin. A gin or a he vodka martini, though. Mm. Okay, so uh, let's get to news. Amy, why don't you go first as my light flickers on and off? <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, I hope it stays on. Well, at first I want to give a shout-out to Morning Edition's coverage of the is Israel-Hamas war. I've been listening every morning as I drive to my bar class and I always have to pause in the parking lot. Your bar uh, because class? It's, yeah, you know, bar, bar, like bar, it's an exercise 
thing. Oh, that I okay. Do. Why? I was like, it's are, a good you, thing. are you studying law? Are you about to take the I know, bar it sounds exam? Like, it, right. It sounds like either I'm drinking and learning to shake cocktails or, yeah, B-A-R-R-E. Um, okay. Anyway, we can cut this. <laughs> As I'm driving to my exercise class in the morning, mm -hmm. I listened to their coverage, and today there were reports from people who were finally um, exiting Gaza into Egypt uh, through the border crossing, and it was just incredibly moving and sad. So, you know, I think those of our uh, our regular listeners know we're not a NPR. They're close neighbors, shall we say, relatives. Um, just a shout yeah. out to their coverage. Uh, so I saw this one on Grist. Uh, the United Nations is out this week with a new report saying that developing countries will need between $215 billion and $387 billion every year this decade to adapt to changes caused by the climate crisis. And that's much higher than the UN estimated even just last year. So it shows how much more dire the crisis is becoming. Um, it's also far more than wealthy countries have been providing. In 2021, developing countries received just $21 billion total for climate adaptation. So they need 10 to 18 times that. And that's what the UN calls the, the adaptation finance gap. Um, as I'm sure you know, there's been a huge debate over how the countries that have really caused the climate crisis by emitting the most greenhouse gases uh, should help these less developed countries pay for the damage. They're often paying the biggest price. They're more vulnerable uh, to things like storm damage and sea level rise and extreme heat. Um, and this report comes out just as world leaders will be gathering later this month for the next COP climate uh, conference, COP28 in Dubai, where that issue, I'm sure, will be front and center again. At the last COP, uh, which was COP27 in Egypt, wealthy countries agreed to set up a fund to compensate developing countries for the loss and damage created by climate change, um, which was a huge deal. Countries have been pushing that for that for decades. But now that process is actually stalled uh, over debates about how it will be funded, who will manage it. And so I think this report comes at a, a crucial time for countries that are trying to figure out how to prevent loss by, of course, mitigating the effects of climate change, speeding up the transition mm -hmm. away from fossil fuels. But also, um, if you pay money to adapt first, you reduce those losses. So things like early warning systems, investing in more resilient buildings and infrastructure, and the GRIST story that we'll link to um, cites a study that found that for every dollar spent on adaptation, uh, we can save as much as $10 in potential damage. So worth the investment, yeah. but it's going to be awfully expensive. I mean, do you see any any willingness on behalf of the countries that caused this to, you know, increase funding in this direction or to take responsibility? You know, what's interesting is that I think it was $21 billion I cited in 2021. That was actually a reduction from the year before. And it was as the global pandemic was costing countries a lot of money, they were kind of turned inward. Um, I don't know. I think people saw that that step in Egypt as real progress uh, when they agreed to create at least a fund. Um, but it's going to take a lot more than, you know, promises to, to really fulfill that obligation. Yeah. 
Oh, boy. Um, I think that is going to be such an interesting story to follow in the years to come, sort of who pays for the cost. And I know that there was a story out where one of the early uh, alarmists about climate change, you know, came out with with a paper along with a bunch of other scientists saying it's happening faster than we thought. We've already kind of blown past 1.5 degrees. And it's, you know, it's a serious thing. And, and we live in a privileged uh, position to, you know, not necessarily have felt it directly here, even though other parts of the country have. Um, but pretty soon it's going to be all of us. Yeah, well, we are feeling it here. And I think that's what will finally, finally get people acknowledge off yeah. their couches and, and do something about it. Yeah. So, well, I've got um, one political story, one political ish story. So people <laughs> who have been listening know that Kai and I have been talking quite a bit about uh, Sen- Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville's blockage of uh, many military confirmations. And, you know, the Senate is still trying to find ways around this, but there's a very interesting article um, that I came across in Roll Call, kind of taking a look at the advise and consent function of the Senate more broadly when it comes mm. to confirmations, because this is a role for the Senate in the Constitution. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's important, but the fact that this could be held up over and over again by one person in this way, you know, makes people take a look at this a little bit differently. So I'm looking at this. The Senate Armed Services Committee estimates it considers 50,000 promotions each Congress. And a 2023 report from the Congressional Research Service put the number of military appointments and promotions at approximately 65,000 per two-year Congress. But the congressional resume, the official tally of what the legislative branch does, says there were closer to 40,000 military nominations in the 117th. The idea that a committee of 25 senators is doing any kind of actual vetting for 40,000 to 65,000 officers is absurd on its face. So why do it? Because the Constitution says so. Um, But it goes on to say that the framers never imagined a system like we have today. And it's not just military confirmations that have to go through the Senate. There are other confirmations on the executive side that have to go through confirmations. And, you know, it's just, I've been so caught up in sort of the day-to-day of it, I hadn't sort of stepped back to think about the process overall. And I thought this was really an interesting analysis of the advise and consent role of the Senate and, you know, whether or not it needs another look in light of the realities of how our government runs today, because that's a lot of, um, you know, different, uh, that's, that's a lot of confirmations. Oh, it looks like we lost Amy's video, but can no, we still No, I can you, still hear you. I can okay, still hear you. I think video. my Zoom just shut down. Yeah, but That's it is okay. kind of bananas that mm-hmm. so many things that were never envisioned by the founders we, you know, adhere <laughs> like to. Like the two of us hosting a radio show or existing with autonomy. <laughs> yeah, that, that was never envisioned. <laughs> never. Go All ahead. right, I think I'm back. Back on the oh video. Hi, everybody. Be- 
Fantastic. Okay. I have one other one. So this is my politics-ish story because it involves yet another federal agency, the Federal Trade Commission. So the Federal Trade Commission is in this big antitrust lawsuit with Amazon. And as part of that process, we get to see all these nice little legal filings. They give us details about the FTC's investigation into Amazon and things that they learn. One of them was, according to The Hill, Amazon made more than a billion dollars in excess profits by employing a secret algorithm codenamed Project Nessie that inflated prices, according to a newly unredacted portion of the FTC's antitrust lawsuit. So basically what this did is Amazon used this program between allegedly 2015 and 2019 by pr- to u- raise prices by predicting whether other online stores would follow in Amazon price hikes. And using these predictions, According to the FTC, Amazon would raise prices when it was most likely to be followed and would maintain the higher price after other online stores adopted similar price hikes. They would stop doing it around the holidays when more people were watching what the prices were doing. But uh, according to The Hill, Amazon reportedly used this secret algorithm to set prices for more than 8 million items purchased by customers in one month in 2018. That year, the e-commerce giant estimated Project Nessie brought in an additional $334 million in profits. So that lawsuit continues to bring out really interesting things about how Amazon operates as a company and also just you know how we as consumers shop online and, and how easily that can be managed <laughs> sorry jasper i couldn't here help but wonder is is project nessie a reference to nessie the, the, the monster, monster the Loch Ness monster i mean if so that just makes it even more kind of yeah cringe, right it's like stealth <laughs> but does it really exist? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, no one will ever know. <laughs> I'm a Except believer. For the Federal Trade so. Commission. <laughs> I got. I see you, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that is it for the news for now. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to play a round of half full, half empty, and so we will be right back. Okay, great. Now it's time to play Half Full, Half Empty. Drew is out today, so we have a special guest host with a wonderful voice, Marketplace Tech producer Daniel Shin. Hey, Daniel. Hello, friends. (laughs) (laughs) I love hearing Daniel's voice. I want you to be hosting like a late night jazz show or something, Daniel. But uh, that would you require, probably already have. One, I mean, that you? would require me having a personality or anything. But I'm not, oh I'm no, that Daniel, that's not true. You have a great personality. Anyway, that's another conversation for later. Let's do this game. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm about to give you, or rather, we're going to start, I guess, with a really controversial topic. Uh, are you half Uh-oh. full or half empty on our phones getting bigger? Oh. That was a great interview. I am half ahead. empty. No, you have to I'm tell everybody empty. about it. Oh, yeah. So yesterday, Kai talked to someone who'd written a piece kind of in search of a small phone and basically couldn't find one anymore. The closest we can get is like a folding 
giant galaxy i think he talked about um <laughs> so it you know it goes in your pocket but then when you open it it's like too large for most hands to hold um and i can relate i actually have like smallish hands and uh i still have a, a smaller phone partly for that reason i want to be able to like actually hold it in my hand i do miss the flip phone although i do like what i can do and watch on this this screen you can still get flip phones that's what I hear, but uh, yes. apparently it's getting harder to find, or maybe um, phones that have functionality. Fair. So I what mean, about you, one Kimberly? of the. So I is wait. What was the question? Was it are we half full or half empty on bigger phones or smaller phones? Bigger phones. Bigger phones, half empty. I also prefer a smaller phone, which is one of the reasons that I consistently kept buying like the iPhone 6S or the iPhone SE refurbished over and over and over again, A, because it was cheaper, but B, because like I just didn't, it doesn't fit in the very limited pockets that women get anyway. They do not fit <laughs> when they get much bigger. And so I like held on, I think it's still sitting over here. I still have like an iPhone SE that I use sort of day to day, but then I broke down and I got a different phone that's a, one of the bigger iPhones to use for, you know, like TikTok videos and, um, you know, taking photos and video for our social media stuff that we do for Marketplace. By the way, we're on TikTok now. If you're, you know, okay with the cybersecurity component, go follow us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, half By empty. We, some What's of us, next? some of us are on TikTok. Um, you know, I, well, you mentioned the camera. That's one thing that I would not want to give up. I mean, the cameras just get mm. better and better. And I love, I'm the kind of person who loves to take pictures spontaneously, but would never drag a big old Nikon around. So if I have to, if it has to be a trade-off and I need a big phone for the big camera, I guess I'm okay with it. All right. What's the next one? Number two, are you half full or half empty on the concept of super commuting? Uh-oh. Uh. <laughs> So this is the story about people who travel extreme distances uh, to get to and from work, trying to take advantage of remote work where they don't have to come into the office every day and live someplace cheaper, bigger, um, and then just commute extraordinarily long distances, sometimes taking a flight every day uh, to get where they need to go for work, or not every day, taking a flight whenever they have to go to work. Um, I'm half empty, don't love the carbon footprint of it, but I also get it because, you know, it's expensive to live in these places. I also, but all, on the other hand, though, I feel like the people who often end up with the kinds of jobs where they can do the super commutes tend to skew a little bit wealthier, more white collar. And so I'm, I'm, I'm half empty. I think like either get a job where you can work fully remotely or you know, try to live where you work as best you can. Although if you've got like caregiving responsibilities for a relative out of state, like I get that too. Yeah, I would say I'm half, half empty as well. I think, I mean, we, we know what the toll that commuting takes on people's lives and health and Souls. Um, the aforementioned <laughs> climate crisis. Uh, so, but I'm also, you know, so many people are forced or have been forced into really long commutes just because of housing affordability challenges, having to mm -hmm. live further and further from the, their jobs. And some people are doing super commutes like involuntarily. Right. So, yeah, um, I just think if we if we can figure out ways to limit 
at least driving <laughs> a lot, <laughs> that would be good. And flying to your job. I mean, I get it. Sometimes, you know, families are separated and mm -hmm. there's a period where you'd have to commute to your job long distances, but I don't know. Have I really? Yeah. That, I, that's why it's called half empty, half full. It's, I don't have to fully commit. I can just be sort nope. of wishy-washy about it. We can be halfsies. <laughs> Although B. Patton says in the YouTube chat, long commutes equals time for Marketplace podcasts. I am hey, you know, that's a good point, B. Patton. Cheers to good that. Good job. Good <laughs> job. All right. What's the next one, Daniel? I'm afraid you can't be wishy-washy with this next one. Uh-oh. Mm. Half full or half empty on company mandated cybersecurity trainings, which I assume you've all <laughs> already done. <laughs> I did mine the day after I got the email. Thank you very much. Oh my Thank goodness, you you're putting me to shame. <laughs> Have you done yours uh, yet? I, well, let me just say, we recently changed <laughs> to these shorter quarterly trainings. I'm half full on that. Please, more of this. You can like As get it done to in 15 minutes. As opposed to the three-hour ones that chunk. we used to yes. do. <laughs> right, because I mean, the other one we do on harassment is it's like the same content every year but they change the actors in the backgrounds and it's like come on people we're we're content creators non-binary folks that's true every year it does get a little bit more progressive on the gender stuff that's true but mm -hmm. it's still like you know i kind of feel like i've seen this movie before and it, it takes a lot of time out of your day so i think breaking it up into more digestible chunks is a lot mm -hmm. better so, despite myself, I am half full on this because some of these phishing attacks are getting incredibly sophisticated. And mm -hmm. with all of these, um, the AI factoring into it and some of the stuff I see that my mom gets and even I've clicked on, you know, the errant fake phishing message to that they use to test you and fail. Um, I got a, a weird phishing message as a text message the other day that said, you know, I had a, a delivery at the post office that wasn't going through and they needed me to come and get it. Oh, and I yes, sent a screenshot yes. of it to my friend who works for the postal service. And she was like, yeah, this one's really getting a lot of people. So I'm half full because it's, it's rough out here in these cyber streets. Yeah. And, you know, a few years ago, David Brancaccio and the Morning Report crew did this great series on um aging and the brain and how mm -hmm. we as we age become more susceptible to these kinds of attacks the scams we aren't as yeah quickly absolutely. able to to recognize them and so i do think training is is good especially as the scams adapt and evolve yeah and a so, lot of people yep. are pointing out in the chat that the marketplace tech had a story about the ai writing the phishing emails now which can make it just oh, so much course, more sophisticated yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and lots of people have gotten the UPS text as well. USPS, sorry. USPS text. All right, Daniel, what's the next one? Number four, are you half full or half empty on the celebrity tequila boom? <laughs> Go ahead, Amy. If I were a celebrity, I would have my own tequila. <laughs> I mean, what else are they supposed to do to make money? <laughs> Especially during the actor strike. Well, a lot of them are on, um, what is that thing, Cameo, where you can get people uh, to uh, do little yes, uh, yes. videos for you. Uh, so uh, celebrities and tequila, I like tequila. I'm mediocre on celebrities, so half <laughs> empty the, because the I don't want to get... celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, because... I always worry that when you have these big celebrity branded 
um, liquors or wines or whatever? Are you crowding out, you know, sort of the the craftspeople who would otherwise have space on the shelf with a really unique product with just sort of the branding? But you know, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter that yeah much. hopefully I mean, they they benefit from some of these partnerships because we know they're not like brewing their own tequila right they're yeah that's with true some, hopefully yeah i would say i'm half empty too just because like do they really need more money <laughs> some of them clearly do um so yeah half empty uh this next one is uh the poll right daniel that's right oh, and good. uh the last one is so wait one second mm-hmm. um <laughs> So for people, I'm sorry, I was just laughing because somebody in the chat said, I feel about tequila the way that Kimberly feels about gin. It is the devil. I am, I'm so sorry, Jason. <laughs> um, anyway, for the poll, if you're <laughs> watching in the YouTube live stream and you're in the chat and able to participate, uh, Amy and I are going to vamp for a minute or two without hopefully giving too much of our opinion while we uh, tally the votes. <laughs> and so go ahead, Daniel. All right. The last one, if you're... Uh... Half full or half empty on the quote-unquote last Beatles song that was made with AI. Oh. <laughs> I think we just Sorry. learned what Amy feels. I let out a noise. Face. Ignore my noise. And you made a face. And you made a face. Um, you know, it's... I'm, I, I like some Beatles songs, but I'm not just like... The, the, the person who's like, the Beatles are everything and always the best of the world of all history of music. And I appreciate what a movement it was for, for some segments of, you know, the population, but not everybody. Um, it, I'm, I'm always surprised at their longevity, you know, and their ability to hang on and uh, still draw crowds. And I wonder, you know, ABBA ju- recently did another song where they kind of used an AI assist for the video, I think it was. Um, yeah, were they touring then, somehow with AI? Of the, I can't remember exactly the story. I may be conflating two yeah. things, but yeah. But I do think that it's, and some folks in the chat are, are suggesting this as well, I think that sometimes a gimmick like this can serve to introduce a new generation to some music that they might really like and that is interesting and gives them sort of a sense of uh, a time period that they haven't experienced. And so, you know, if it makes some people who might not have ever listened to the Beatles, you know, give the music a shot for the first time, I think that's cool. I haven't actually heard the song yet. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, go back uh, and listen to it. So I don't know this story. I missed this um, while I was in the, the podcast episode churning <laughs> uh, cave. People um, are telling so me to it, lower our it? expectations. Yeah. So was it. <laughs> Daniel, was it an actual Beatles song that was released with the help of AI, or was it actually written by AI in the style of the Beatles? I believe it's essentially a mashup of sort of the Beatles, the four original Beatles, you know, voices and such. What, uh, wasn't it possible. like a song that they wrote, and so they were able to get the voices because of AI? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. like that, okay. yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. them, but AI sort of brought it home, as it were. <laughs> okay, so Adam in the chat says, it wasn't made by AI. It was based by on a demo by John. AI assisted in filling in the gaps. And they hmm. used AI to separate his voice from the other noise. 
Brett says they used AI to uncover Lennon's voice from the piano and lots of people. John wrote hmm. it, says yeah, Barbara. I love how we're getting the whole narrative in the chat. Thanks. Oh, but Gigi asks a good question. Who's getting the copyright for the song? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, right. Okay. Let's go ahead so and what, close yeah, do we this have the poll. results? We will in a second, but are you half full or half empty, Amy? Um, I am half empty because, I mean, I think it's an interesting experiment, actually, to to bring something to life that we couldn't, you know, have. And, you know, I am a Beatles fan, uh, and um, I'm interested to hear it, but I do just worry about... Um, you know the creators at least john isn't here to to say how his voice is used and how his his music and his art are controlled and so it sounds like um yoko was actually on board with this given uh, what somebody said in the chat but i don't know i just i i feel like it doesn't feel right <laughs> it's just a gut half empty that's what it is folks how about you um half empty on sort of the song and the you know sort of gimmicky nature of it but a bit half full on the technology simply because i also am worried about creators and their ownership of their music but i also do think there's a really unique opportunity to use ai in music like you know take you know how would you know, Mozart interpret a Beyonce song, you know, you could ask AI to do that. And that could be fascinating and fun. And um, it, there's a lot of opportunity to play around that I think could be interesting, if we can set up some guardrails that protects creators, because I also think that there needs to be some things that are special, you know, and some of what makes music timeless is the fact that it exists in a time confined by what was happening in that time. And I worry that if we take people's voices and music and ideas out of their time and their experience and just mess around with it in with AI, we lose some of the magic of the music. So half, <laughs> fully half, <laughs> but... Uh, that I don't know. That's that's yeah. yeah. That's where I, that's what I've got. <laughs> you know, I oh, was we should just have thinking given about the poll results. Oh yeah, what Wait, are the, what are the poll results? So, right, half empty, sixty five percent, half full, thirty four percent, with one hundred and sixty one votes on the last Beatles song made with AI. Most people seem to agree with you, Amy. I was just thinking uh, about something a, an old journalism professor of mine said, which is you can get away with anything as long as people know what they're getting. So I do mm. think, you know, if you disclose <laughs> what's been done, how it's been done, so people aren't fooled into thinking this is some something authentic, you know, maybe play play with the technology, see what you can get. Yeah. All right, that is it for us today. If you have a question or a comment you want to share with our team, you can leave us a voicemail at 508, the letter U, the letter B, smart, or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. I love how that's like your that thing. <laughs> yes, you're the only one. I love that I have a thing. You do. 
Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Jake Cherry. Our intern is Neelafar Shabandi. The team behind our Friday game is Emily McCune and Antoinette Brock. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. I'm so happy to see you, Amy. You too. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you. I'm, I'm running, <laughs> walking a 5K tomorrow, and I'm going to catch up on all <laughs> nice. the How We Survive episodes. <laughs> oh, sounds good. You might need to walk slowly. <laughs> I probably will. <laughs> John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcast.